and welcome to another episode of SayPod. So SayPod is a podcast focused on helping black, Asian and minority ethnic women be more secure online by speaking with experts and understanding what is your digital rights and how can you be more safe on the internet. So today I am joined by Julie Dawson and she's from Yoti which is an amazing organization focused on digital identity. Today we're going to be talking about identity theft so what does it mean when someone hijacks your identity online and I'm really excited um, but before I go in I'm gonna let Julie introduce herself so Julie can you just tell us a little bit about you your story and the organization Yoti Sure, and thank you very much for inviting me. So Julie Dawson, um, I look at three areas here at Yosi. One is how we deal and interact with government and look at different changes in law. Then I look at our ethics approach, so how we manage different tricky ethical questions with the company. We have an external ethics board, so I work closely with them. And a team of people across the company, all the way from R&D through to customer support, um, to help people across the company be more aware of different ethical issues and feed those in. And then I look at what all the different accreditations are that we need to do for areas around data and areas around cybersecurity. And shall I tell you a bit about Yoti itself? Would that be helpful? Yes, it would be, especially for those who maybe this is their first time of hearing about Yoti. Sure, sure. Well, the easiest way to think of it is your ID on your phone. Um, A really simple and secure way to prove who you are or how old you are, just online or, or in person. So we're a team of a couple of hundred people. We're based in London, but we've also got teams in India, US, Canada, Australia, New Zealand. And over the last couple of years, over 6 million installs we've had off the Yoti app. Um, And this is helping lots of people just prove who they are or prove the age and helping businesses know who people are. Because what's really tricky in today's world is you don't often meet who you're dealing with face to face. It's helping you know who you're dealing with in person and who you're dealing with online. Okay, I think what's quite interesting with identity is when people think about it, they think about passports, they think about driving license. So with the concept of digital identity, how is it unique to more traditional identity formats? So what's really different um, is that we found a way of letting you prove your identity or your age by setting up your digital identity once and then being able to reuse it many times and then just also share little bits of your identity when you're happy to. Um, So it's a three to five minute setup for someone to download the app. Um, We check they're a real person and then they can upload a document. So in the UK, that might be a citizen card, a passport or a driving license. And we have a a checking centre that checks that it is a real person setting up and they check the security of the document. And then what we do is each of the different bits of information on, say, the passport or driving license, we chop them all up separately and we give the individual on their device um, the private key so that only they can then share that which might be sharing say they're over 18 and female with a dating site or it might be sharing the full name address date of birth etc when they're maybe setting up um, a new financial services product so it's letting you share just what you need when you need and always giving you a receipt so you know very clearly 
what you're being asked to share and the other organisation knows that that's coming directly from your government issued documents. So it makes it quick and easy for you and it also makes it really secure for both you and the other business. That's good. I think what's quite interesting is how this, in in its simpleness, tackles identity theft because we know that now because of the internet you know identity theft is not just someone stealing your passport or your bank card it's more than that it's more of your online details like your gender your your age what you like to do so what would you say um yoti does in terms of tackling identity theft i know you've spoken a a bit about it in terms of the verification So there's quite a few things really. I mean, in the most simplest thing, it's that you're not having to trot around all the time with the documents. So we know in the UK, there's a million people every year just in the UK who lose their driving license. And that puts you at much greater risk of identity theft and fraud. So now you can trot into over 13,000 convenience stores and prove your age with your Yoti, not having to take that document with you. So being able to have that digitally always on your phone can really help you. So you're quite right in terms of identity theft though, that people can take lots of little bits of say the jigsaw of your identity and use that. So it could be, you know, they get the jackpot and they get the whole document that you've left on the nightclub floor, Mm -hmm. or it could be, as you say, that online people just get hold of little bits of data, maybe just your date of birth, um, maybe an email address and a date of birth, and gradually they might get access to say a password that you keep on misusing. So within Yoti, we actually provide a free password manager so for me i'd never used a password manager until a couple of years ago i thought oh that's only for really extreme um you know techie people but actually since having it it's been an absolute godsend because now all of those probably about 70 different passwords some of which i might only use once or twice a year Mm. i can actually get access to through my yoti and one of the key things that people do online which is is makes them really vulnerable is using weak um and the same passwords in lots of different places not changing them frequently um and making them just you know too easy you know the sort of arsenal one two three or mary one you know that type of thing so um having what's called now a two-factor authentication or a three-factor authentication having different levels having a password manager is one of the really simple things and there's a whole bunch of them you can find out about online that they can really help you protect your passwords Okay, I think what's um, quite interesting is that the BBC News recently um, did a report when they said that the number of identity theft victims rose by 57%, I believe, in 2015. So I think from your experience, especially since YoT works in the digital identity space, um, what would you say are the different types of identity theft that you've seen? Mm. So there really, really is a a whole range um, in this um, social engineering type areas. You've got, I mean, just a few would be phishing attacks, Mm -hmm. um, when people are claiming to be a legitimate source, trusted, but actually they're really not. Um, That might come through email where people are, um, you know, trying to make out that they're a charity or there's been a disaster or a tragedy and exploit your goodwill. 
Um, there's also things like romance fraud attacks. We, we work quite closely with quite a few different dating sites and the whole area of people not being who they say they are um, on sites like that is, is really, really common. Um, we've worked, for example, we, we did a, a really entertaining video that we'll share with you and it was to really raise awareness that you've got to know who you're meeting um, because that can lead to quite a bit of different pretexting and people might try and compel you to share photos or sensitive information when actually they really are not who they say that they're, they're masquerading as another person and sometimes in that dating type context people might be just lulled into a false sense of security or just be lonely and that is really dangerous so you have to be vigilant for yourself but also those around you um, friends family members that you you know might be in those different circumstances of um you know maybe being a bit too trusting at times that could be by phone it could be by letter it could be by email it could be somebody trying to ask your login credentials um, it could be somebody trying to pretend um, that they have certain information from you and checking that information there's lots of different pretexts and then similarly you know you have to be careful in the same way physically there's tailgating of people going in and out um, of a door you can have someone asking to borrow a phone or a laptop to, to do something simple but instead installing malware or you know going taking data so you, you've just got to really always slow down you know a, a spammer or somebody that's trying to scam you wants you to just do something quickly so you have to do the exact opposite and not be pressured um, you know research the facts if you're not if you've got a sort of a gut feel that something's a bit odd when you get a message or an email that you're not quite sure about a url that looks a bit dodgy you've got to create a new um, tab get a different search engine check it out ring someone up and be really really skeptical because one tiny link can lead you in the wrong direction um, and people can take over your whole email your whole website and then anything that's sent to you to download can be you know literally a time bomb um, it can have, you know, malicious malware. Um, it can be, you know, people just, you know, wanting to in, in inject something that's going to grind your computer to a halt or even lead to, you know, the whole bribery type scenario. Um, so in the same way that there's lots of ransomware coming through to companies, you can get similar things coming through to, to individuals. Mo what might look initially really benign and saying you've won a huge amount from a lottery, just put your details in to get funds, could be somebody setting up a direct debit with your account. So you know, you, you've got to be really, really sceptical. So there's some, there's some great... Um, great sites such as things like Scam, um, the Scamaware team that I think is, is a really good one. Um, Scam Alerts, Friends Against Scams, Citizens Advice Bureau. So I'll send some links to you, but there's some really good um, other other reading on that, which, which people might find good to look at when they've got even more time. Yeah, um, that's, that's true. I think what I found interesting was that um, EOT works with a lot of dating sites because... <laughs> Like you said, you know, the barriers are down 
and it's very easy for people to use social engineering and for those who may be listening who are not aware of the term social engineering it's more in the context of someone using psychological manipulation to try and get someone to perform actions or to divulge confidential information and then use it against that person in a malicious way so so it's a thing where I think you kind of mentioned with the links about ways to be more secure and ways to prove your identity um mm. so i think when you send that i'll probably put that in the description of this podcast so i know yoti is about all about being ethical which i love um how would you describe your ethical framework we've done a whole bunch of, of work on this um in terms of trying to really put you, the user, at the center of of how we do all this. If you think, even a few years ago, the key way you proved who you are might have been somebody saying, oh, how much was your payment for your DFS sofa three years ago? Was it £22 a month, £33 a month, or £27.50? And if you couldn't remember, you could be basically knocked out of getting hold of something. So that classic knowledge-based way of proving how you do something is, is just been not an easy one. Um, and it's it was something that was done at you rather than you being in control. So we wanted to flip this in another way. And we, we did lots of questions at the beginning to, to the public to find out what they really wanted. And they, they thought, you know, this is me, this is my data. I should actually be owning it. I should decide what I share with who. Um, so the part of the work of our Guardians Council is exactly that, checking that you, the, the person using Yoti, is at the core of what we're doing, that we stay too, true to the, the principles that we've set up, that we enable people to be private and, and anonymous. So once you set up your Yoti, we do not see what you do on a day-to-day basis at all. So you might share your over 18 with a dating site or your boarding pass through to an airport, but we do not see that you've done that. We just know to charge that organization because someone has transacted with them, but we never know who it is doing what um we really have undertaken to keep your data secure so you know literally bank and border control level security and ensure that there's not a honeypot of data so there isn't all the things you've done and all your details in one nice neat column we split them all up to make it like spaghetti junction so if somebody did get inside they wouldn't find everything you've done along with everything about you in one nice neat column Um, We also want to make sure that it's a a community that's safe so that people who prove who they are, you can rely on that and we want to be transparent and open so all of the meetings with our guardians council are all open online people can see them and also we want to make yoti available to anyone um so we look at the issues that people have who have disabilities people that don't have documents um and being open to as many documents around the world as possible and we also look at the difficulties of people in the world that don't have the latest devices or don't have any devices at all this sort of whole area of accessibility so those are the key seven principles and those those were really a bit of a north star so they're written in big letters um in our in, in to, inside park in 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 yoti headquarters and all of our offices around the world um and they're really the dna at the heart of making it serve you the user first which is quite different i definitely agree and i think what i like about it is you've talked about allowing users to take ownership of your data 
And I think in the in the space that we're in where data privacy is such a huge topic, it's a revolutionary stance to, to kind of stand on. And I think people have, no, no, well, people may not know this, but I'm going to probably put the link, is that you guys do a lot of work in developing countries as well to help, <laughs> you know, people prove the identity. Because one thing I know is in that space, a lot of people are unable to create bank account because they're unable to prove their identity and just how you having that ownership on your data and you able to prove who you are how that can kind of impact on your life your living standards and things of that nature so yeah so there's a lot of work if, if people look up yoti social purpose that we're doing in this area we're one of a whole bunch of companies around the world that's trying to meet it's one of the sdg social de um, development goals to try and help the over a billion people in the world that don't have a document you know they don't have that warm birth certificate or a passport or a driving license so they can never actually show that they really exist they can't then vote they can't open a bank account and who knows if it's the same person coming back even into a hospital so it's, it's really debilitating and it's almost the first step on the ladder of giving people that civic empowerment i definitely agree with that I think, you know, we, we spoke earlier about social engineering and just the part that it has to play with identity and theft. Um, as this links to like the misuse of data, do you have any examples of, you know, social engineering stories that you maybe have heard or case studies that might be interesting for the public? Hmm. Um, well, I think one of the ones that, that we looked at last year was exactly around this, this romance fraud in the catfishing area. So we, we worked with um, an MP called Anne Coffey, who'd had a lady called Anna Rowe in her constituency that had a really unfortunate experience in the whole catfishing area. And that then led us to um, create a little video called Little Casanova, where we actually basically made light of this area but with a serious undertone so we had a 13 year old boy in a restaurant and three or four ladies come in in their 30s and they were expecting miguel age 29 um but they sat down and there's a you know a 13 year old with curly hair and rollerblades drinking milk and it was to make people think that when you're looking at miguel age 29 and he starts saying oh i'm due to be coming over but i need 200 quid for the flight or whatever that you think twice and and that was the serious undertone underneath it so um i think and mark um, one of my colleagues might correct me i think we've had over 20 over 30 million views of that so it was shared virally because it i think the success was that it was really funny but actually people thought my goodness yes there's a message here yeah, you are correct, Julie. It was, I think, 35 million hits. I think we were the biggest video on uh, Facebook that week, which is very good for a company of our size and scale compared to the competition. So, yeah, it was a really great message and award-winning as well. Um, we got lots of very good feedback from lots of people to say this is how you deliver a message with a meaning but with a smile as well. So, yeah, it goes to show that you don't always have to be absolutely serious to land a serious message if you want to engage the masses. Mm -hmm. The other example I, I would have, Stephanie, is um, I came across one where it was a really sad instance of somebody who had a deceased relative mm -hmm. and that person was being impersonated and being used as though they were still existing by a fraudster. And can you imagine the pain for that person to mm -hmm. be then getting bills and different things through 
as though that person existed that they knew had died when they were still in that really raw state of um, of mourning for someone. So when some when you have a loved one that's died, there's a lot of things to take care of. But absolutely, the digital footprint of that person is 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 one that that also needs to be all tied up. Um, and so um, the protective registration service that's run by CIFAS, C-I-F-A-S, um, they had to get in touch with and let them know that you know this was happening and that a, a deceased um, member of the public was was basically being impersonated. What I found fascinating about that is you, I mean, obviously when you've lost a loved one, so many things will be rushing through your mind and the digital identity is not something that you you would think about. Well, I think no, absolutely, yeah. So even next week, actually, I'm looking at how we can um, start to look more at that whole process of power of attorney and how digital identity can support there. We've been doing a lot of work with the land registry and HMRC, looking at when you're buying and selling property. But then another big life stage is exactly that, how you help people digitally in the family that remains um and then ahead of time if 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 people are ill how you look at that whole power of attorney framework so the government and lots of different bodies are interested to see how we can make this a better process that is safer more secure less traumatic all around wow that's an amazing work that you guys are doing and it makes you think that when people talk about the internet almost being this virtual reality it really is <laughs> you know you you have to think about oh it's not just the normal stuff that you do in terms of letting certain you know certain organizations know that your family member is no longer alive or maybe informing your landlord but making sure that digitally it's also quite known that this person no longer exists yeah, I mean, there might be some some areas that you do want the family to keep hold of a you know a certain a certain records and certain areas, but you still don't want um, you know debts being incurred or things like that 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 are really traumatic for everyone. So, in your opinion, would you think do you think that as you know when people are thinking about their will, it's also good for them to think about giving their passports and and maybe information when they do go so that the families do do that due diligence um we'll be we'll come back to you on that in the the next few months i I think because this is an area that still as a country Mm. um you know and countries around the world are still just grappling with this so how to do this digitally how to do it securely how to ensure that it's been done willingly and in the right way needs a lot of safeguarding Mm. um and we are part of those conversations that are happening but but it's it's still one that is hopefully in 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 the space of this next year or so it will start to get a lot clearer but it has to go through the office of the public guardian and it has to work with quite a few different um bodies in government okay no i completely understand so but when we think about identity um, theft and just the scale of it how big is the problem 
do you know that that's one question that um, I didn't have one concrete specific number as to the actual market size, but I, I looked online um, and, and found some staggering stats um, in the US, and I'm still looking to see some latest ones in in the UK. But it, it really it's a problem I think that's growing exponentially. And if you look at the reports, for example, through to action fraud in the UK, there was a really really um you know it's been very clear that as a country we cannot do enough to stop this so people have to learn how to protect themselves because it is a tsunami it really is something that is is spiraling every day we're hearing about breaches i mean everybody heard about things like the marriott the equifax but every few days there are increasing numbers of these attacks there's, there's a really interesting site called have i been Pawned, and I'll send you the spelling because it misses out the vowel at the beginning. Um, but you can put your emails in, and it will tell you how many times you you have actually um, had attacks against you, which is really quite worrying. Um, so yeah, it's a really good one to look at. Okay, um, I'll definitely share that in the description, and hopefully in the blog post that we'll do around this podcast. So. I think the next question I had in mind was, who do you think are most affected when it comes to digital identity? Is it businesses in terms of if someone was to impersonate an employee, or do you think it's individuals, or you think it's a problem that is mostly affected, or mostly affects both parties? It really does affect both parties. I think the trauma to the individual is one that is really, really long lasting. Um, and as we were discussing at, at the beginning, it's it, it's not a, you know, a couple of hours to reconstitute your identity. This can take you weeks and months and the psychological impact could be with you for a few years. So it's really non-negligible. Um, you, you really, if, if it's happened to you, you will, you will probably take the best part of a year to be getting through all the different steps you've got to go through and to really put your whole, um, you know, all those different steps in action. It's not something that you can do in, in a few days or even weeks. There's, there's a, lot, um, a lot of repercussions. Okay. And with that, you, if somebody has been affected or been a victim of identity theft, what would your tips or advice be? Hmm. Um, there's quite a few of these. So, you know, firstly, you've got to get through to the main companies or banks when you think that this identity fraud occurred. So if you know there was a certain account, obviously that is the, the first port of call. And you have to do that super quick because they might have to freeze or even close down the account that's been compromised. Um, then the different credit bureaus. Now, people might have heard of these, Equifax, Experian, in some other parts of the world, maybe TransUnion. You have to get in touch with these sorts of bodies. And we have a specific um, body in the UK that's a helpful one called CIFAS, C-I-F-A-S. Um, and they're a really good one to, to get in touch with. They have what's called a protective registration service where they will actually help and put a flag against all of the different financial services bodies saying, um, this person has had this attack, so be super careful if anyone else comes along pretending to be Stephanie. Mm -hmm. So Stephanie has gone through this horrendous trauma, 
this is her name, this is her details, and it'll take quite a while for you to convince them that it's you. And then every time someone else comes along saying they're you, they will make it hard, either for that person, but sadly also for you. So it isn't something that is easy either way, <laughs> but you have to do it. You can then ask for copies of all your credit reports and put um, sort of an alert so that you can get more credit reports. You might want to put a security freeze so that other people can't access at all. Mm -hmm. You might want to start looking at what all the documents are that you have that could be misused. So it could be that somebody's got hold of one of your documents and is then reusing that in different circumstances. So say, for instance, they had a certain driving license or a certain document, then you have to try and get a new one of that specific document. And then you've got to go back around all the different organizations where that has been used in the past. That's a lot of work. If you've had any debts um, in the past, you might have to look at those because you might find that either those or you have new debts that start to be incurred as someone misuses your identity or tries to. Mm. You could find that somebody um, tries to misrepresent you and then if you're not careful, your future credit reports could be impaired. So you need to ask when, you, when you're speaking with those credit reference agencies, that they block any ish information in your file that goes back to that identity theft so that you don't suffer for that. Because they might try and make purchases in your name and not pay for them. Um, but if you don't ask the credit bureaus to block it, that can sometimes remain in your credit report, which is, is, is really, it's not fair, but, but that's, that's how things work. Um, the tax office is, is one specifically to look at in case they start to get fraudulent alerts or activity um, with regards to your details. Mm -hmm. can also go through to your health insurance or your medical care providers. It could be that somebody tries to misuse that and keep um, claiming um, you know, medical support, pretending to be you. Um, you know, there's been horrendous things happen of, of people literally going to a doctor and trying to get prescriptions or even visiting um, and going for operations and, and you potentially being liable for those X period later. The driving license database, if, if for instance you think somebody could be using that, they could be getting fines, they could be, you know, um, misbehaving so that you later down the line are receiving fines or having points against your license. Um, so all in all, all of these different accounts that you've got, you have to go back over, you have to look at all the passwords, um, you know, look at is, are there any that you can rationalize and make sure you're creating a really good strong password potentially get yourself a password manager um, but, but all in all as you can imagine that that is a lot of steps yeah i was just even when you were giving the examples it just made me think about the level of scope in which someone can use your identity to do almost anything. It really is so many different areas of your life. Um, and that's that's why it's something that I, I think it's good to look at your, you know, if you're hearing this, see who else in your family and friends you can support. And that's where the, the Scam Aware charity um, tries to help to encourage people the ones that are thinking about this to share and make sure you, your friends and family are, are a bit more vigilant. 
thank you is it possible to send this link so i could just um scam aware is what you mentioned the organization yeah, that's it's an organization run through the national trading standards um body and i will i will get that over to you but it's, it's a really good group and they do packs which you can use with youth groups i've used it in in a you know in a, a secondary school i know there's been you know um senior citizens it, it's it's a really good um, way to to yeah within a community try and help more people be more aware okay well thank you so much for just sharing so much knowledge in this short time i definitely <laughs> i've definitely learned a lot and i'm sure that the listeners have also learned a lot if you do want to connect um yoti is y-o-t-i dot com so please check them out and also check their instagram linkedin which is also on their website um i'll try and see if i can get the viral video to see if i can plug it in because it definitely sounds like an interesting um video to work just watch just for like a reflective purposes as well we will get that over to you definitely um and again thank everyone for listening please check sedia um, at s-e-i-d-e-a dot org to see how we help big women get into cybersecurity through our events our jobs board and also our recently formed courses which would be out soon so i'll see you in the next episode thank you